Oh, we're back. It's the Holy Hive Show, a podcast about Utah culture and life. I'm Jordan Delacruz, here with Dan Lawler. Dan, what's up? Oh, you know, just dealing with March, the uh, the biggest tease of weather, you know, always. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> last, last week we just had such a nice weather, and now I'm just back to shivering. Yeah, it's and it, and it varies so much from morning to night that like sometimes, like the how I dress in the morning leaving the house, it's it's obsolete by like... 2 p.m. Absolutely. You carry in some groceries and you're hot. You know what I yeah, mean? Like any yeah. physical effort. And it's like, oh. Also uh, at night too, like depending on like we have to pick and choose how we use the air conditioning now because like there was a point last week where it got so hot that the inside of our apartment was just like burning hot and like trying to sleep that night. It was kind of rough. And I rolled over and I grabbed my phone. And I just looked at the temperature outside and it was like 44, which isn't that warm, but compared to like how we had our heat settings exactly so i just swung open the window and it was probably like the best like night of sleep ever so it's like we're starting to get that the, like open window mm -hmm. uh part of the year which i really like we got daylight savings coming up this weekend too i believe Is that so. this weekend yeah i think so oh i'm glad you told me about that because i hate when it blindsides me yeah and time and my whole day screwed up yeah so uh can you smell the normalcy in the air i can smell it a little bit it's coming yeah it's every week it's getting a little bit better and not only that but we're getting more and more announcements about how the state is going to proceed with like the the vaccine uh distribution yes so just some vaccine updates uh this last week so it was basically right after we re-recorded last week's episode they announced people with a bmi boss body mass index over 30 uh they're open to uh the vaccine now they qualify i qualify yeah Thanks like a lot of people. I think it was like 700,000 people in that group. I believe that would, it. Yeah, that would qualify. I'm going to take this time to thank Hires Big H, uh, <laughs> Skewered Tie. you qualify. Any number of breweries. Um, so you, you got an appointment now? I got an appointment. Perfect. Yeah. And now I think I think today we saw something in the, in the news that said like one in 10 Utahns are now vaccinated against COVID-19. Uh, and then about halfway through the week, Governor uh, Cox announced that April 1st, they're opening it to all adults. So it's it's open vaccine hunting season starting in April. That's right. Um, and I made my appointment. I don't know if it's going to kick me off, though. So this is kind of an experiment. Yeah. He announced that it's going to be open. I just decided to go in and make the appointment. I filled out the the, the, the whole form truthfully and stuff like that. Um, and it let me make an appointment. So we'll see if it, it, I get a cancel notification or whatnot. But, I mean, if you uh, can... I suggest doing it. Yeah, well, yeah. you made it after April 1st, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's like April 4th or something nice. like that. So hopefully it just goes through because by then I'll qualify. Um, and if you don't get it in the beginning couple of weeks of uh, April, they're expecting 1.5 million new doses to arrive in Utah by April 10th. Also, UTA is offering free uh, rides to vaccine locations. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. We're all coming together. The community's coming together to get vaccinated. Um so yeah, it feels good. You you feeling good about getting your uh, vaccine next week? N nervous? I am. Yeah, I am. I am a little nervous. I, there's never been more pressure to not get COVID than yeah. I know, right? <laughs> than like because I'm getting it next week, mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, God, I really <laughs> don't want to get this. And like we've plateaued a bit with our numbers; they're no uh -huh. longer falling. We're kind of like going yeah. up and down a little bit, but. I'm still, you know, I'm still relatively safe. I still wear my mask when I walk in the hallway of my apartment. So we're good. Yeah, yeah, me too. And it's all, it's, it's weird because like there's a lot of people, I'm, I'm noticing more and more people downtown because I work downtown. So walking uh, around out here, there's a lot of people walking around and like about 50% have masks yeah. on and 50% don't. Um, 
couple, couple months ago, everyone had masks even on the street. And Absolutely. Stuff like that. So people are starting to get a little more relaxed. Um, Chin strapping it a bit. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like Kobe in the fourth quarter right now yeah. with this vaccine. You know, I gotta, I, I, I gotta get the intensity you up. You're dialed in. But speaking of like the, the normalcy thing, I didn't put this in the prep. So I just wanted to like run this by you real quick. I don't know if you saw that life is beautiful. The like Las Vegas music festival. Oh, they're coming back. Yeah. They announced their lineup yesterday. So it's being headlined by Billie Eilish with Green Day and Tame Impala. Pretty good show. Wow. A lot of like a ton of other acts too. You can go check out their full lineup. Um, but it looks really good. Uh, so that's set for September 17th through the 19th. And I think tickets go on sale today. Not that we're like advertising life is beautiful, but this is like the first time that I've seen something yeah. like go, co- go back to normal where they're like, we're going back to life is beautiful. That's full commitment. Yeah. And it just made me think like is September. Do you think that's a pretty good timeline for getting people vaccinated? And cause like, what's like, I don't know. How do how would you personally feel about going to a music festival September? Well, I mean, I can't give, I mean, I'm not sure uh, if I have the endurance for a music festival after the year that we've had. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm curious how I'm going to do it just like a normal, normal show. Um, but I do know that I'm eyeballing a Rage Against the Machine show in June. So yeah. if that's still going on and I'm fully vaccinated, then I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> personally. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the attitude too is like, well, if you're vaccinated, then yeah, you personally probably have nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully the majority at least of all the people at Life is Beautiful would be vaccinated. Yeah. I don't know. I, I do have to say though, thinking about going to uh, Life is Beautiful, I went in 2017 and it was an awesome show. And I remember being really close for some of the bands and mm-hmm. just packed into a room, which is like, or packed into a, a big space. It was outdoor, but just in a, in a huge crowd for someone like gorillas, you know? Yeah. So it's just a, just a, gig- a sea of people. And I'm like, I don't know if I would do that. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm down for the shoulder to shoulder thing, mm-hmm. which I mean, I think it's off the table. Like that's how it's going to go. They're yeah. not going to distance everyone by then. It's just, you know, we're, the floodgates are open. Um, I might hang in the back. Yeah. I might just kick it in the back. <laughs> I think that might be where I yeah. am just in my, my place in life. <laughs> like I noticed even before COVID, I was kind of <laughs> hanging in the back more often. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't getting too into it. Yeah. I guess it's an age thing too, where you're like, I just want to kind of watch the band and watch yeah. the music and I don't, I don't need to be too active. And also I don't yeah. want to spill my beer. Especially you know? at like a punk or a hardcore show. Like you can mm-hmm. only get your glasses knocked off your face so many times before you're like, I'm not doing this <laughs> yeah. anymore. It gets way too rough, too fast too. It's like as soon as the music starts, yep. everyone's pushing. Yeah. So, oh my God, <laughs> I just got an email. Um, so I, I'm like, yeah, I think I could do that. September. Seems like a decent timeline, especially now that we're just like looking at the vaccine in April. Mm-hmm. I'm down for it. With uh, a, sad, a sad bit of news, sad bit of information. Uh, this week we were informed that Tony Caputo passed away. And if you don't know Tony Caputo, he was the owner of uh, owner and operator of Caputo's Italian market. Just a culinary staple here in Utah, in Salt Lake City specifically. Uh, his son, Matt, announced his passing on uh, Facebook. He wrote, the best days of my life were spent working with him in a deli and watching how he would treat each person having lunch. It didn't matter what color your skin was. If you were the governor or a blue-collar worker, he made each person feel like uh, an old friend by welcoming them with a ge- with genuine kindness, respect, and hospitality. And I'd say, like, yeah, you definitely felt that going into Caputo's. Their, their workers are, like, always chipper. Yeah. It's always it's always smiles and uh, and... Just good service at Caputo's. A very welcoming atmosphere. Yeah. 
and some delicious and some delicious deli meats. Great, too. great offerings as well. Yeah, they're. they're I, I think I still think they have, and I people are gonna probably have their own opinions about this, yeah. but I still think they have like the best meatball sandwich. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a huge meatball fan. It's a little messy, but it's like I it's like, like firehouse bah. subs. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Blasphemy. Um, so yeah, rest in peace, Tony. He uh he he's a guy that like le- like when you say like oh that person left a mark. Yeah, you know that dude. Like, obviously, we have the one downtown, but he, like, expanded stores, and they're, like, really active in the community with, like, wine tastings, and, and they, I think they even did, like, a whiskey, like, clinic mm. type thing. They just put on all kinds of things, and um, their offerings are really awesome. So, uh, if you have time this week, go check out Tony Caputo's. Um, okay, happier news. This Monday, which will be the 15th uh, of March, the City Library will be opening its doors once again to the public. They announced their intentions to open seven of their eight locations. Um, those locations include the main downtown building and six branches, Anderson Foothill, Chapman, Day Riverside, Glendale, Marmalade, and Suite, which is in the avenues. Um, I found out. I had no idea where that was. <laughs> I was like, where's, yeah. the, where's the Suite branch? Um, it's in the avenues. Uh, services include 60-minute uh, computer sessions, access to fax and copy machines, picking up holds, returning items, and uh, reference assistance. Each location will also have designated browsing areas. Uh, the main library will uh, start beginning passport services as well, which very nice will come in handy when we start traveling abroad again. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about this. I love libraries. Dan, do you have a library card? I don't think I do actually have a library card, which is also pretty sad. Yeah, you got the pressure's on. You got to get a library. Yeah, card. I think it's because I. I was going to get one when we lived in North Salt Lake and then it was like Davis County. Like I couldn't get like yes, the Salt Lake I County Yes, I remember one. that. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I'll just hold off until I move. And I just never got around to it, which is yeah. very sad because I love browsing, like yeah. browsing anything. I love mm-hmm. to browse. That's exactly why I love it too. And I, yeah, I remember trying to get, <laughs> we lived in North Salt Lake in this townhouse uh, a few years back and I didn't know this, but I found this out at the library when I was trying to apply for a library card at the downtown location uh, where I worked. And they were like, no, North Salt Lake is technically in Davis County and not in Salt Lake County. Yep. And so we didn't qualify to get a library card. Um, and then when we uh, moved into Salt Lake County, um, I immediately got one. And it's it's definitely like one of my favorite places to just like get things done if I want to get out of the office and I just kind of want to be out in the wild, you know. And uh, also, I think our library system and I don't I, I don't really have. I haven't, I haven't lived in any other large markets, so I can't compare really, but like, I think our library system has done a good, a good job of like facilitating culture. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of, uh, events. Uh, we've seen a lot of Sundance films at yeah. the downtown location. Some of our best like screenings have happened there. Um, and, uh, I know they do a lot of work with local, like the Utah film center mm-hmm. and, um, basically they've turned a level of the, the library into like an art gallery. Um, so yeah, really excited to have libraries back and, I went to the, actually went to the holiday library. I don't know if I've already talked about this on the podcast. No, I think it was a private conversation. Yeah. I think I mentioned it to you, but when we moved, we moved to holiday a couple of years ago. Um, one of the like appeals of choosing where we lived is that it was near a library. Um, and as soon as we moved there, like the week after they renovated the library and it took like two years for them to get these, these renovations done on the holiday library. And then the library opens, we go, we get our, we got, we get registered with the library. We start checking out stuff. And two weeks later, the pandemic happens <laughs> and the library gets closed. So for the first time since the pandemic, a couple of weeks ago, we were able to go. And, um, 
I, I almost got kicked out for just spending way too much time because <laughs> they have like a time limit on browsing. Yeah. And I, and I, I just spent way too much time going through all their DVD and Blu-rays. Amazing. Yeah. And like, if you're someone who loved the rental house experience, like going to Blockbuster, mm-hmm. um, the, I think libraries can kind of like itch that scratch. 100%. I mean, that's where the Roy, the Roy city library is where I was like introduced to some modicum of good music when I was like late yeah, elementary dude. and early junior high. Yeah. Like, I think I found Weezer there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The offspring. Like uh-huh. I know for a fact, I listened to blindside for the first time mm-hmm. out of the library. So you just take them home and burn them onto those like old colorful Memorex discs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people who are actually adults right now that don't remember ever checking a CD out of the library. Yeah. Like, but that was some of the best stuff. Like, cause again, like if you go get a library card, you don't have to pay for anything. You Truly. have to pay for your late, late fees. And even those aren't even that expensive, you know, if you forget to return it, it's rude, but, uh, it's not, it's not like you're going to get hit with a bunch of fees. Um, but if you're curious about movies or curious about a certain book or something like that, and you don't want to just like take the plunge of buying it, you know, just give it a try at the library. Yep. Just reserve it and you get it for free. And not only that, but they've uh, integrated a lot of like digital systems. So you can check out eBooks and audiobooks uh, without even going to the library as long as you have a card. Um, it's an untapped resource. And Absolutely. I, and I think a lot of people uh, should get a library card. I uh, guess I should too. <laughs> so we were talking about uh, the vaccine rollout earlier. And uh, we actually got some news over the past week that uh, they were also going to end the mask mandate, which yeah. is Coming to an end April 10th. Yep. I'm, I'm dumb and I didn't write this down in my script. But yeah, so April 10th, uh, they're going to leave it up to people to make their own decisions about when and where to mask up as we enter the hopefully final months of the pandemic. Uh, since the announcement, business owners have been taking to social media to voice their concerns about lifting mandates and increasing business capacity. Um, the owners of Quarters Arcade Bar have been vocal about the government's handling of the pandemic since early last year. Uh, citing vulnerabilities to staff and business owners in a state whose laws don't really favor local taverns. <laughs> Truly. Um, on a Twitter post, they wrote, if you're going to do this, our staff needs the vaccine now so they have time to build immunity. If the state isn't prioritizing that way, then do not send this message to our patrons. It's confusing, and we will have to bear the burden of telling customers they are wrong. This tweet was a response to uh, a video posted by the aforementioned uh, Matt Caputo, about dealing with angry anti-maskers. And uh, we have a video clip of what he had to say. This was posted to the Caputo's Market Twitter. Hi everybody, Matt Caputo here. I have to get a little soapboxy today about masks actually. I I just heard that a bill was passed that's going to end mask mandates early next month. And I wanna talk about that and give people a little perspective and maybe even a little call to action so that you can help our essential workers. So, As a little bit of background, before the statewide mask mandate was put in place by Governor Herbert, our crew was dealing with vitriol and negativity, like really mad people, several times a day. Now, as a business manager and owner, you have to deal with upset people, but generally it's like this rare thing. And it was this thing that was like, it became the hardest part of the pandemic and it was really draining and it burned a lot of people out. And to let the mask mandate expire on April 10th, before our essential workers 
are able to get fully vaccinated is absolutely outrageous. Now, I know they say that it's gonna be available to everybody in Utah, the vaccine on April 1st, but let's give them a chance to get fully vaccinated. They've been working every single day through this. They're frazzled, they're tired, and a lot of them are scared. They don't have a choice whether to come to work or not. And so we either need to get them to the front of the line now to get their vaccinations, or Governor Cox needs to veto this bill. And I would implore all our customers, please call or write a quick letter to Governor Cox saying, get essential workers vaccinated now, or veto this bill and push that date forward. We all wanna get back to normal, but let's take care of our essential workers. They deserve better. Thank you, Caputo out. So that came from uh, Matt Caputo, Caputo's Market. If you want to follow them on Twitter, it's at Caputo's Market. Uh, so um, do you think restaurant staff should have been prioritized a while ago? Like, do you think that they, they maybe have kind of missed out on what we call essential workers yeah. or recognizing certain uh, like uh, essential workers related to the service industry? It's It's a tough question because I think that you know, there are the people who have, um, you know, the comorbidities, all these words yeah, yeah, yeah. that we have learned. Um, <laughs> and, and those people, you know, those could be constituted of people who are working in these, in these jobs. But then mm -hmm. if you do allow that, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, but if you do allow that, where does that line kind of get drawn? Because then yeah. you're, you're also got to include gas station employees, mm -hmm. basically anyone who runs a public service. Yeah. Um, and so I think the easier thing to do is just not let the mask mandate expire for another two months. Yeah. Like it just seems so, so simple to do that instead. Mm -hmm. I know that these people are kind of just like going after their base. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's Paul Ray, I believe who was really the author of this bill originally. And he is, um, quite an annoyance throughout my life. <laughs> um, he's a, he's our state Senator from Clearfield. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the problem here for me is not so much the what, you know, of mm -hmm. getting rid of the mask mandate so much as the who, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. we shouldn't allow politicians who do definitely have this agenda and do mm -hmm. definitely have these kind of points that they really want to stick into people and into, into their work. Yeah. Um, when health officials are saying something else. And I understand that you do have to balance that. And there is a balance that needs to be kind of taken with the economy and all of this. But it was only a few months ago when they released the study that masks completely improve consumer confidence, which leads more people to shop, which leads more mm -hmm. people to eat. And so like, you're going to, you're going to probably actually ding the economy. And I'm sure that that's not mm -hmm. true because of the vaccinations. It'll go up, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough question, but yeah. I just think why not go back to the old way of letting counties decide because mm -hmm. Salt Lake County would keep the mask mandate. I'm almost yeah. sure of that. Yeah. Um, and to Matt Caputo's point about the, the governor vetoing it, I do believe that and I don't know the the actual facts behind this. I'm not super smart with politics and whatnot. But he, uh, Governor Cox said at his press conference this week that they passed it with a veto-proof majority. So I don't know if he can veto it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't looked into that. I think it, I think it is one of these things though that is just like it, it's kind of the the caveat to every argument about whether the government handled this right or not, which is this hasn't happened in modern times. Yeah. Like we've never had to deal with something on this scale. 
Um, and there's so many people that you could put blame on from city politicians all the way up to federal politicians. Um, and so it's just like one of those things, hindsight 2020, I think we should have probably prioritized a lot of, uh, those, those, I mean, you could call them frontline workers. Mm-hmm. Like we, we kind of apply that term more to like people in the healthcare industry. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that just like as much as hospitals, like at least like logistical staff who are there to facilitate and not be a specialist in something, um, like nurses, people, uh, you know, first responders, people like that. Um, I think people at grocery stores, if someone's just bagging groceries, sees just as many faces yeah. as someone at a hospital, if not more. You know, part of this pan, part of something that we learned about this pandemic was that it's not just the, uh, the, the healthcare industry that gets weighed down. It's the grocery industry and the manufacturing industry and the logistics industry and delivering people's mail and packages and stuff like that. All that stuff gets weighed down. And again, it's just like, we didn't have the answers before this happened and everyone was blindsided by it. Um, so if it happens again, we (laughs) realize we need to like, uh, we need to prioritize those people as well. And, um, and I think they have done that kind of partly, but it's like, as, as, as he mentioned in his, in his post, um, as as far as the vaccinations go, it wasn't part of that. Like that was never, they weren't really seen as frontline workers in in that aspect. And now they're like, we're going to open up business and we're going to get rid of the mask mandate. And like, I, I definitely understand why, like, for someone like, or for for an establishment like Caputo's, if uh, it, that's that's something, it's a it's a it's a deli and it's a shop. Mm-hmm. There there isn't a huge logistical pivot that you need to make to facilitate pandemic, you know, guidelines. Um, so I understand that they probably they were able to facilitate that quickly and and keep their services open to people, and that the hardest part of the pandemic was actually people just. Yeah. giving them trouble for for sure enforcing mask rules that were mandated by the state mm-hmm. um and it, yeah it's 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 not surprising and it, it won't, won't surprise me if they're just gonna have to deal with people doing that in droves yeah uh, after april 10th so yeah i think um the as far as the vaccine goes like we're already like it's it's the time has passed and i honestly wouldn't be surprised if because this, this announcement about the mask mandate came a couple of days before they said they were opening it up to all adults, the vaccinations to all adults at the beginning of April. Wouldn't be surprised if the kind of backlash from this led to that decision to like open it up sooner. So it's like, so it's like okay, we can get 10 days of vaccinations out before we do the mask mandate yeah. to like everyone in the public. Um, so it just seemed kind of clunky the way that all this I rolled agree. out. And again, like I, I too want to default to politicians that I don't agree with. I want to default to just blaming them for things, Mm -hmm. but like no one was trained for this. No. And everyone like, of course we're going to screw up. If another pandemic happens in a couple of years, God forbid, we will be better at it. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Cause it's been a year and half a million deaths and Mm -hmm. people are still fucking crying about masks on a daily basis. It's insane. And it should be said if, uh, after the mandate uh, ends on April 10th, uh, businesses still have the right to enforce their own mask rules, just like they can enforce shoes or Mm. clothing or types of behavior or 
types of logistical habits, like how you line up, yep. like that's their decision to make. How their business runs is their decision to make. So if you go into a place arguing that you don't have to wear a mask, um, you're wrong. Like that's their, that's their private property. And, and, and usually the people that would argue that is like, you're, you're, these are my, 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 this is my freedom. These are my liberties. Yeah. It's like, you also have the freedom to not shop there if you mm -hmm. don't agree with that business. So just don't. There's going to be a whole lot of people showing their ass on social media. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be pretty embarrassing. And I hope that, uh, <laughs> Utah isn't, I feel like if some, if Utah is going to make a headline on national news, it'll be something like that, which yeah. it, it always is, which is frustrating unless, uh, Shaq like disses Donovan Mitchell, then we'll, uh, yeah. then we'll hit like a national level of, uh, virality. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. Okay. So, uh, this past week, Speaking of uh, Utah in the national on the on the national stage, uh, something very close to our community premiered on Netflix. Uh, this was a true crime true crime documentary called "Murder Among the Mormons," uh, directed by Jared Hess, who most people probably know as the person who directed Napoleon Dynamite yeah. um, and Nacho Libre and a couple other movies that probably weren't so good along the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's what he's most uh, known for. And this is his first, as far as I believe, maybe he's done another documentary, but I haven't, I, I don't, I don't know if he has, I, I didn't check into that. Um, but at least this is his first like big one. Um, this was pretty heavily promoted by Netflix. And um, so yeah, murder, murder among the Mormons is about uh, a document forger named Matt Hoffman. I don't know. Is that a spoiler? I was going to do a non-spoiler discussion for this. Mark but, Hoffman. Yeah, Mark Hoffman. Matt Hoffman Ma is the Ma Ma Oh, yeah, Ma <laughs> Matt Hoffman is the... No, he's the BMX guy. Yeah, yeah he's a BMX writer uh, for people that grew up in the 2000s. Um, yeah, Mark Hoffman. I'm going to do that probably three times during this conversation. Uh, I, and, and God damn it. <laughs> I'm going to put my, my uh, computer on uh, mute now that we don't need the, uh, the clip. Um, so M Mark Hoffman, um, a... a uh, document forger from Salt Lake City, Utah. This all took place in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. So it was before we were alive. Uh, not too too long before. No. Nope. Right, right before, five years-ish. Um, I was thinking about doing a non-spoiler discussion and then doing a spoiler discussion. But then after watching the actual documentary, it breaks open pretty quick. Like, I think it's so not, too. I don't think it's anything that needs to be protected. Just go watch it. It's really interesting whether or not you know what happens. Yeah. Or, and it, or if you just want to like turn off the podcast, go watch it and then come back to it. That's cool too. Uh, but we're going to be talking about this like in depth uh, with spoilers and stuff like that. So Mark Hoffman, document forger, uh, connected to a string of uh, murders by explosive yeah. <laughs> devices here in uh, Salt Lake City in the uh, mid 80s. And uh, so before we get into like initial reactions about this documentary, I wanted to ask, are you are true crime documentaries and specifically like this type of thing that Netflix has been releasing? Is this something that you like seek out regularly? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, love a, it? I'm a big fan of this format, especially it seems like we've hit the point now where we don't have to do the 13 episode thing. Like we can tell the story in the way that it's, you know, it, you know, get in, get out, and we're good. Like, they're, yeah. they've released a number of three to four episode docuseries like this, and, yeah, I eat that shit up like, you know, yeah. it's, like it's hotcakes. And I, I don't usually seek it out, but every time I give it a chance, I get sucked in. Yeah. And it's I have this love-hate relationship with these true crime documentaries, and I think a lot of that um, that kind of – uh, un the, 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 the lapses in trust that I have with this type of content probably comes from like, uh, my profound disappointment in serial. <laughs> Do you oh, okay. remember that podcast? Yeah. 
and how it ended and and the things that I didn't like about serial I think were the things that were turned into a template for this type of true crime content um, where they're kind of the the whole point of the content becomes like let's sustain the the suspense for as long as we can at the cost of not moving the plot forward yeah and not you know moving things forward so it's almost like they can take a whole episode and make it about one single fact and it just becomes really repetitive and stuff. Um, and, but there's, 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 I think a lot of documentaries have been breaking free of that type of template. Like I love tiger King. I mean, who didn't like, I haven't seen tiger. You haven't seen tiger King. That is mind blowing to me. Were you, were you actively trying to avoid it? No, no, I was, (laughs) I was going to watch it. Um, but it just, I just never got around to it. It's a bit it seems a bit quirkier than what I like. I like really yeah. dark and disturbing yeah. crime docs, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. but no, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, and uh, uh, don't fuck with cats was another one. Yeah, don't fuck Netflix. with cats was really good, and that was the one t- that I think I looked at as like, whoa, this was a different kind of presentation in the mm-hmm. way that they did it, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then obviously like American Vandal, which came out on Netflix, which yeah, is yeah. a satire <laughs> of this type of content, um, was brilliant because they satirized all of the stuff that I hated about like true crime podcasts and documentaries. Um, and it works on the same level. It has, it's like you still, the suspense mm-hmm. is still there. And in, in yeah. so far that like, as you want to find out who the culprit is and who, you know, who drew the dicks. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. If anyone hasn't seen American Vandal on Netflix, uh, go check it out and then just leave it on, uh, autoplay all night. So their numbers get inflated because they canceled it, which yeah. is like a crime into itself. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're going to bring it back on another network, but American Vandal is truly genius. Um, so, uh, with that out of the way about, about, you know, the Netflix doc, true crime format. Now we have a, a, doc, a, a documentary that focuses on, um, a piece of Utah history. Overall, what did you think about? murder among the Mormons. I thought that it was, I thought that it was really good in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I thought that it left a lot on the table in some other ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess that's the reverse of kind of having the shorter format. Yeah. Um, crime documentary is that maybe there are some stuff that is interesting that, that doesn't get delved into as deeply. Um, I really, really Mm -hmm. enjoyed seeing salt Lake, you know, yeah. circa 1985. I thought that that was like a really interesting mm-hmm. snapshot. Yeah. Um, not a ton of ton of change, but, but enough yeah. <laughs> change to really kind of like, Oh, interesting. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was dope to see Ken Sanders in like the coolest, like lighting Dude. setup that I've ever seen. Right. I don't yeah. even know where that was. Was that like the Eccles or something? What was that? I think auditorium. I'm, I, I, I could be wrong. And there might be someone screaming at the podcast saying it was this place, but I'm, I think it's the space Jesus room at, in, in Temple Square. Oh, interesting. There's like this like uh like dome with like wow. yeah. Um historical stuff and um there's like a Jesus statue and Interesting. I think that statue might have been right behind him. I'm hmm. not sure. I also could be completely wrong, but that's where I was thinking it was the whole time. And I a couple of the other like locales that they shot those interviews at. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's that building." I think a lot of it was just on Temple Square, mm-hmm. which I was kind of surprised. I was like, man, they gave him a lot of freedom with yeah. that space and, yeah. and shooting there. Cause there was a lot of drone shots of temple square and stuff like that. Definitely. Um, uh, but yeah, I think, I think uh, what you said about maybe it didn't, it left a lot on the table. I think there's a, there's a, a version of this documentary that dives into Mark Hoffman on like a, you know, 
like a psychotic evaluation level. Mm -hmm. Like we're, and they kind of touched on that with like, they talked about his parents and his upbringing and how he lived in this Mormon family. And I I think they mentioned that his dad got mad at him for bringing home a dinosaur book because it, it was, it was information that was too close to evolution. Um, and so they kind of dove into that, but I think there's a version of this where they go deep into that and they try to get into his brain a little bit more. Yeah. Um, which I think they did in the third episode. Uh, I, I, I think, uh, it, it had a few of those true crime, tri- true crime trappings where a lot of the materials kind of being recycled and reused a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, is under the whole thing was under three hours. Yeah three 45 minute episodes. So it didn't overstay its welcome ever. It did. It, it was, it was, it, it moved. And, um, I think maybe if they did dig into a little bit of like, uh, the psychology of Mark Hoffman a lot more, uh, it probably would have dragged on a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that I, maybe they just didn't have the, the material. Um, so I thought the pacing was, was really nice. It didn't feel like a drag at all. And, uh, as a counterpoint to what you said about the documentaries that you usually like, gravitate towards, like the, the grim, mm-hmm. dark stuff, um, I get kind of weighed down a little bit if if I if I'm in that stuff for too long. Sure, like the dark stuff. I still haven't seen the what was the Night Stalker? Is that the one that just mm-hmm. came out? That one's rough. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen that one. I kept hearing things about that, and yeah. I was like, man, that sounds rough. Um, so I, I got to say, it kind of felt nice to have a true crime story that didn't feel totally grim. Absolutely. I you did. Know? I liked the dramatizations, which I assume is yeah. what you're kind of referring to, especially the one where they went into the desert and, and shot, shot the Uzis. Uzis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was hilarious. And that was where like Jared Hess really shined through. Yeah, um, exactly. Like I yeah. thought that was like really Jared Hess. Like mm-hmm. um, you literally see a slow motion of a guy giving his friend finger guns Yeah, and they put like a whip cracking mm-hmm. sound to it, which is just great. Yeah. And I kind of wish it had more of that. I kind of wish there was a little bit more of like of that levity in the reenactments. I think they had an interesting kind of tightrope to walk just given that they didn't really include, they only included people who were either a victim of Mark Hoffman, the con Mm -hmm. man or a victim of Mark Hoffman just by virtue of like being his friend, being alienated and feeling as if they were lied to. They didn't, Really, and this was something that kind of I wish they would have done a bit more of is like interview people that were close to the victims. Maybe the vic. I mean, they yeah. had the one interview from the eighties of the of the uh, the wife of one of the of, victims. Yeah, the yeah. wife of Steve. Yeah, um, Christensen. Yeah, and and that was I thought valuable, just given that you know those people do deserve a spotlight because. Mm-hmm. And that's, it is, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a tough balance because that's why I do like the more darker stuff is that yeah. it's like, this is serious shit. And so sometimes yeah. it's like guy gets blown up, hole in his chest, a woman, mm-hmm. a, that poor woman, Kathy Sheets, like, yeah, like barely, totally gets, a, barely gets a mention in the show. Like mm-hmm. Kathy Sheets gets two mentions that she gets killed and then it's like, no, nothing else. Yeah. Um, and then you just kind of go to these dramatizations of, of whip cracking finger guns, which I did like. You yeah, know? and yeah. I and I can mm-hmm. separate the the more lighthearted with the with the uh, darker yeah. stuff. I think that there is a way to handle both of those, and mm-hmm. it did handle it pretty well. Yeah, and I I think that um, that I mean obviously. Uh, two people get killed; they get murdered yep. in a pretty violent way, mm-hmm. um, and so. There's there is darkness and there's violence. Like the story has violence in it, but it felt like this more kind of Coen Brothers Fargo type of violence rather than yeah. like a David Fincher movie, you know, where it's like all fire and brimstone, mm-hmm. like serial killer stuff. Yeah, um, I think you nail it there. Yeah, and 
I think that's something that Jared Hess has always had a fascination with, like just look at Napoleon Dynamite. Like the comedy of the mundane mm-hmm. is his thing. Like he loves focusing in on these stories about people that are just the most boring ass lame people but if you sit and watch them you start chuckling at just like the way they live their lives and that's that's obviously i I'm, i wouldn't be surprised to hear that he's like a big fan of the cohen brothers and uh the way that they focus on kind of they just kind of focus on those same things mm-hmm. um the comedy of the mundane and and i've always said that like utah is just ripe with that type of content like oh it really is like like those types of characters where it's like this is the most boring thing ever but if you wrote who this person is down on paper, you would be like that you made that up. Right. And that like Utah's full of those types of people. And so I was, I was really curious to see how f- people outside of Utah felt about this. Cause obviously living here, the series gives you this alternative appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to see Salt Lake, uh, you know, from the eighties, uh, 19, like I think it was like 74 to 85 is like yeah. the total time span that they cover. Um, I thought it was hilarious that like you see the cop cars and the fonts that they used on Salt Lake City. Yeah. It literally looks like a disco era. It really font. does. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the graphics that they would put behind the news people. Yeah. Like there's one that's just like says bombing and it looks yeah. like, it looks like a happy thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, my partner Annie posted about that on Twitter and yeah. just said like, I would like to know what decision like who made this decision yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> there needs to be a series on just that and uh-huh. i will say the uh we we did miss one of the directors tyler meesom also tyler co- meesom yeah yeah he's yeah, the co-director. co-directed this as well also uh, from utah i believe oh I, that, I think makes, he's that a local. makes sense yep. meesom sounds like a utah name yeah um <laughs> it does yeah <laughs> i don't think about it um yeah the uh the uh set dressing and the production value that they put into the broadcast news in the eighties, I think is unparalleled. Mm -hmm. Like everything's gotten too sleek and like clean and boring. Yeah. And they haven't tried to evolve at all. I say, go back to those full sets where they have like a shelf with books behind you. Like I really loved the eighties broadcast. Yeah. With like that open window behind them. You get to see the Valley. I totally agree. And I think it wasn't even a green screen. Like they literally, or, or an actual shot of the Valley. I think they print a high quality, large version, like oh. wall wrap <laughs> and then put it behind a fake window. Oh, I love it. And so it's like, they put all this detail into their new sets. Like that really was something that as I was watching it, I was like, this is hilarious watching old KSL broadcasts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and obviously like seeing a lot of those old anchors that I can kind of remember from the nineties yeah. that are like retired now, um, was really cool too. Uh, so yeah, if you live in Utah, this documentary does take on like a different light because there's so many aspects about the characters and motivations and the story that are like soaked in Utah-ness. Mm-hmm. Um, just some things that I kind of like noted as like aspects of the story that are very Utah. Um, uh, so a, a spiritual struggle, leaving someone jaded and nihilistic. Yep. That's very Utah. <laughs> uh, nerd culture. This felt like, like there, Utah has this kind of nerd culture of its own. And uh, sometimes it's around comic books. Like we have a pretty big Comic-Con here. Um, that type of like the, the mainstream nerd culture. And sometimes it's rare coins and just like, there's people like that here that just collect weird, rare things. I was surprised about like how big this network of like artifact collectors there was. I mean, I guess this was in the time of Indiana Jones when everyone probably was just like searching for everything. (laughs) Yeah. They all thought they were Indiana Jones, just like nerdy guys who love Indiana Jones and they're just like, it belongs in a museum. Um, (laughs) Uh, a nuclear family being blindsided by the crimes of a father figure. <laughs> that seems very Utah. True. Uh, the church dealing with the media very poorly. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is some of the stuff that I wanted them to dive into a little deeper as yeah. they presented this like this very interesting idea of of the church buying up documents that they didn't have mm-hmm. any I mean other than the fact that they said it was authentic. They didn't have any like they didn't have proof that it was true. So yeah. they wanted to buy it up to almost hide it from yeah. from the public. Yeah. And that makes you question some things, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, if I if I talked to Jared Hess about this, my first question would be like, how did you navigate that relationship with the church because you're shooting at you don't shoot on temple square unless you're Mm -hmm. approved by the church especially if you're doing like a netflix production yeah like everything has to be like union mandated you have to have permission to do everything um and they never really take they they never really take the church and put them in like a bad light Mm -hmm. they show you things on how they dealt with it which i think is funny because I don't know if they just thought that they did it smoothly, but like to everyone that's not in the church and you don't have any kind of bias towards it, you're like, Ugh, yeah, like, you don't look good right now. Um, and so I think maybe that there had to, there had to have been like some kind of agreement that like, like maybe they had approval on a cut mm-hmm. or something like that. The church had to have been involved it's in possible. this some way. But it did seem like they weren't, they were loose with it. Like they were like, you can use this stuff and, Maybe some of it makes us look like we have an egg on our face, but you know what? If we expose this guy's story, then yeah. it's all kind of for naught anyways. For sure. I really, I, I enjoyed the, I don't want to just keep picking at things that I wanted them to do. Cause yeah, yeah. that's one of my least favorite no, yeah. things in criticism is when someone's like judging a movie based on what they wanted it to be instead uh-huh. of what it was. Yeah. Um, but when someone is when something is presented in a story and then kind of just left to linger, like they did, and I don't know if this was purposeful or accidental, but when they played the the like kids the kids movie of the of the Joseph Smith story, like the propaganda yeah. film, I saw that as when you continue to watch the show, I saw that as like that is an interest. There's an interesting parallel between Joseph Smith and Mark Hoffman. Oh, hundred percent. Like, and I think that the documentary wants you to kind of see that that's the thing i think i uh, that's why i think that question is so fascinating and what his relationship with the church was when making this was i saw that stuff too and i think that stuff might be lost on people who don't know about the church true yeah that's that's absolutely you know and i think he had to toe that line to where maybe like old dudes in suits who gave him approval on the copy wouldn't pick that up Mm mm-hmm but subtext. people, yeah, but it's, it's, it's right there in the subtext enough that people mm-hmm. would pick that up. And yeah, I agree. Like, I kind of want to see the uh, director's cut version of this where they're like, we're going to more clearly lay out those parallels yeah. between Mark Hoffman and Joseph Smith, because yeah, like that, they, they, it's there. It's, it it's is. There. I mean, they're both, <laughs> they've both were convicted of, of, of mm-hmm. conning and forgery. Yeah. Um, and you know, like, I think that that is kind of like the main question about Mormonism is yep. like, how real is that like kind of initial document with mm-hmm. the stone with the uh, golden tablets? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I'm, I don't know shit about Mormonism. I can't really. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it was interesting too when they talked about his kind of faith crisis and how he it started when he took it, when he went on his mission to England, mm-hmm. and then he would spend a lot of time in these libraries, and then he would find old documents about Mormonism. And he was finding writings about Mormonism that were never mentioned to him, that were never included in scripture, you know, back home. And so that's when he started to doubt. And then Mm -hmm. he started to, I think he, like from what they, how they were kind of spelling it out is like, he was like, all of the whole faith and all the scripture is based on 
these documents that we put all of our faith into. Like that mm-hmm. was kind of the thesis at the end of it. When something, when everyone agrees that something is real, is it real? And yeah. Um, and that's basically the basis of the Mormon church, yeah. whether you agree with it or not, that's kind of what it's based off of are these documents and faith. Yeah. The, and the, and faith that they're, they're actually real and not only that the documents are real, but they're, uh, they're, they came from this spiritual source. Yeah. Um, and I think when he, when I, this whole idea that the documentary is playing out is something that clicked in Mark Hoffman's head at a young age. Mm-hmm. And he thought, well, if they believe that, could they believe stuff that I put out there too? Well, exactly. Cause he says, he says in his interview when he's imprisoned that he, he has been interested in manipulating people basically for his whole mm-hmm. life. Like there are definitely sociopathic tendencies to this dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I got to imagine if someone has been since they were a child trying to manipulate people, whether it's like changing a coin and getting it passed off by the U S treasury department or whatever. Yeah. Um, he probably took that poorly if he felt like he was being manipulated. No one who likes to manipulate people wants yeah, to be yeah. manipulated themselves. And so I imagine that's where that really started to ramp up for him mm-hmm. is like, okay, well then I will manipulate, ma- manipulate all of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Um, so yeah, I thought that, I thought it was just a, it was a very interesting and it, and it does, I mean, anything that leads to conversation, I think is a, mm-hmm. is a good thing. And I talked to Annie about it for a mm-hmm. while. I've, I've done some reading and talking to you here. Like, I think that it's, it's yeah. something that is, it's fun to talk about and yeah. that, that means it did a good job. Yeah. It definitely gives you a lot to chew on. Um, some other things, uh, some other examples of Utahness in this, uh, documentary, uh, a character whose job is secondary to his hobby of skiing. Yeah. <laughs> a lawyer nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um driving to desolate nature areas to test automatic weapons and explosives. Feels very Utah. Yep. Um an entire neighborhood being unsuspecting of one person's criminal activity. Uh escaping to large cities to indulge in vices you would never touch at home. Yeah. That feels very Utah. <laughs> um and just straight up Ken Sanders, man. Like Ken Sanders say, for real. Great cameo. Yeah. And uh it makes me happy because that's the reason why I think it like is like there's some Utahness to it is how many just kind of random people have been in interviews and true crime documentaries over the years. I like I, I bet very rarely unless you know that person like on a, on a familial level do you go oh it's that guy yeah, for but real. I feel like so many people in Utah who watch this documentary were like oh it's that guy one hundred percent yeah me and my partner both at the same time we were just like oh whoa he's in this <laughs> I was I was um, sitting on the couch and we started it and it's like really early he's mm-hmm. like one of the first people to speak in the documentary yeah and as he starts talking, it doesn't show him for a minute and there's just B roll mm. and it's B roll of someone looking through stuff in his shop. And I was like, Oh, I think that's Ken Sanders. Not knowing that that was the voice. I was talking about the shop. And then like, right. As I said that he the, pops shot, up on the screen. shot flips and it's him on screen. And I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. It's jarring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was thinking like, uh, you know, between the, uh, the Fisher beers that they, uh, produced, for Ken Sanders, yeah. uh, the limited edition beers and like this documentary, I'm like, you know, if aside from the pandemic and the declining like book sales industry and the, uh, the, the riots that he was affected by, um, the, the, the damage that was done to a store, you kind of take things that those things out of consideration. Like he's been having a pretty a decent year, pretty nice year for Ken Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, some, uh, just other kind of 
uh, random thoughts about the documentary. I thought it was influ- infinitely more inter- entertaining than like Real Housewives. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, we thought Real Housewives was like the uh, the queen of Utah content, and now we have a usurper. And I think Absolutely. I think this is the best piece of uh, Utah content we've got this year, at least on a, like a national level. Um, the Jazz would argue with you, but <laughs> I don't know if they count. We'll see what happens. It's still that's a story that's still playing out. That's true. Um, uh, yeah, just a, a, a great document of Ut- uh, of Utah itself um it's it's just hilarious because like if you look at a true crime documentary and what what the motivations are behind all these true crime people and then you have mark hoffman who's just like i wanted to make some money making fake mormon documents mm-hmm. and you're like oh yeah that's a, su- such a utah thing like it's it's hilarious that that's our true crime documentary <laughs> for sure for sure yeah. I mean, I guess we could we could probably get some credit with like a Ted Bundy documentary, but that wasn't didn't have the Utahness. That story mm-hmm. doesn't have like the Utahness that the Ted Bundy was. documentary that mm-hmm. came out in in twenty twenty or twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. I don't know years anymore. Um, there's some pretty decent Utah stuff in there. Yeah. So I'd also say that one fatal flaw that a lot of these documentaries have is you can when they're when they're trying to sustain the suspense of like who got killed or who's guilty or who's not, you can always kind of narrow it down by who they're mentioning and who's not being interviewed. <laughs> that Yeah, that's what I was initially going to say when you were sit, like talking about this, the do, doing a spoiler discussion and a non-spoiler discussion. Yeah. It's like, well, when you're 30 minutes into the, into the show, you either know Mark Hoffman's either killed or he's the killer. Yeah. Like there's two options there yeah. because his wife is there and he's not there. Yeah, just based on how... Ex-wife. Uh, based on who they were talking a lot about but not interviewing and the way that the people they were interviewing were talking about those people, you're like... This guy is either dying or guilty of something yeah, <laughs> pretty quick. And then they just sure. like busted open. Like you, you know, halfway through the second episode, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then you get a lot of the background in the third episode, which was good. I think it, like you get this climax at the end of the second episode. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the second part is not only like part of the like motivation and the back, the background behind everything that went down, but it's also like um, the epilogue yes. to the story. And I thought that pacing was just done really well. I thought so too. Um, a lot of yeah. a lot of really um, strange voices in yeah. this in this show. <laughs> yeah. I did have to turn it up every time. Um, Shannon, I can't remember Shannon's last name. Apologies. So the Shannon. guy that talked like yeah. this. Yeah, it was the guy that talked like this. Yeah. Um, and then even Mark Hoffman's voice was like so nasally and like we like the first time he was being interviewed, I thought like his his interview, I thought it, was, it there was a, a woman speaking, and I was uh-huh. like, who is being interviewed? Is it the wife? Was the wife involved too? And then it's like, oh no, that's just Mark being interviewed, dude. dude yeah, and it was funny because like they have they all have the the Utah manner of speaking, mm-hmm. like. Uh, like they, the way that they would just say words, they would be like, and Mark said he was going to bring the check by Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, you're like, that's very, that's how my grandpa talks. You yeah. Know? Um, so yeah, it was, it was a delight as someone that like is from Utah and is completely fascinated with, uh, Utah culture and just the weird people around Utah. Uh, yeah. How many out of, out of four forged documents, how, how many forged documents would you give this documentary? I would give it three forged documents. Out of four? Yeah. I think that's about right. Um, pretty good. Um, so that's going to do it for today's episode of The Holy Hive Show. Uh, remember to follow us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, or whatever it's called. iTunes. I think Apple Podcasts. iTunes Podcasts. Um, or, uh, on, yeah, on Spotify. Yeah, and subscribe to us on YouTube. And uh, we'll see you next week. See ya.